is a disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm Peter, and I'm not here with my co-host, Lee. I'm Lee, and I'm not here with my co-host, Peter. But it's not because we're not vaccinated. Because we're both double vaxxed now. That's right. Peter, yep. Zachar, two shots. Lee, oh, yeah. Two shots. Yes. Two sh- we're the two-shot crew. That's right. Which means sooner <laughs> rather than... Well, probably not, probably not before this batch of episodes ends, but certainly for quote-unquote season three... We'll be back to face to face in person. Speaking yeah. of which, uh, as we said, we're doing we're doing things in batches now. So this batch of episodes, which we're kind of loosely calling season two, but there's an overall continuity. Anyway, it's gonna. We've got uh, two more major disasters today's, and then we've got a tragedy Tuesday, and then the last one will be, I guess, in two weeks or three weeks time. Um, so just keep keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, the and batch. Then, and then we'll be back in, uh, well, we'll set a date, but we'll announce it by the last episode, but I think it'll be in the fall. Certainly in time for our Halloween despair mm. episodes. So you won't miss that. Month of despair, usually capped off with a a fun uh, watch party. Yeah, exactly. Of some kind. Oh, usually, damn. I say usually, we did it once, but we're going to do it well, again. We're going to do it again. And you know what? Maybe we'll, uh, in the interim, we'll probably do another watch party during the summer. That's true. We'll do a summer. I got some ideas. Oh, I recently, oh, nice. I recently watched a YouTube video, a very convincing one uh-huh. that made the case for The Rock actually being a James Bond movie. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm no joke. Like I don't, I don't give into like fan theories and like conspiracy theories and stuff, but I watched right, that right. video. I watched it. I clicked on it and I was like, okay, nerd, whatever. G- yeah. Give me, give it your best shot. What do, you, what do you got for me? I came out of that video being like, well, yeah. It's a James Bond movie. He's, obviously, he's James Bond. He's been in jail, and um, yeah. Well, uh, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm, I'm at this point. I'm gonna link it in the description to this podcast because watch the video. I'll send it to you too, and you should watch it. And it's okay. like it, 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 it. It's to the point where like I've got to the end of it, and I'm like, there's there's no way that they did this by accident. <laughs> like they it's wrote undeniable. it this way. Right, this right, right. is a James Bond movie. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway. There's that. Also, you probably noticed uh, that this episode's coming to you a week late. We announced it on social media, but uh, the second dose of the vaccine kind of kicked my ass a little bit, Mm. but not a reason not to get it. But I was a little bit feverish, and rather than submit you to my feverish ramblings, we thought uh, we'd just skip a week and come back now. So here we are. We'd rather give you 100% of Peter rather than, you know... Exactly. A broken version. Having said all that, this week it's a disaster courtesy of Lee. I can't wait to get into it. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're new here, I recommend you start at the beginning because uh, we'll do callbacks to previous episodes. You won't miss inside jokes, but a lot of times we'll be like, hey, remember episode something about the whatever? Yeah, I'm when doing, say I've that, got some call, I'm doing some callbacks this oh, episode. Oh, nice. Well, yeah. then I suggest you go back, binge everything, and then you'll be up to speed on all those. Exactly. You you don't want to be left in the in the <laughs> dirt, in the dust, like a dummy. Right. Who wants you're standing there like an idiot, like the dust, like in the 1904 Olympic marathon. Exactly. Callback. That's a last callback. <laughs> that's that's a, that's the kind of thing we do around here. It's the last episode we did. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so yeah, if, if you get through those and you like what you heard, tell someone to listen. That is super helpful. Also, leave a rating or review. That would be super helpful. I think we got like thirty or so reviews, so it'd be great to hear from the rest of you guys. That's yeah. super super helpful. If you like what we're doing, let us know. If <laughs> if you if you hate what we're doing, uh, t- t- keep it to yourself. Yeah, we um, don't want that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm joking. We welcome all feedback. Yes, of course. If you want to keep up with us on social media at This Disaster Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, check out our website, thisdisasterpod.com and our patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod where you get uh, bonus content like micro disasters every two weeks. And when we're back in the studio, we'll be back to uh, live streaming our recordings. Yep. And there's some other visual stuff in the works. So check that mm. out. Foo Fighters and Dave Chappelle. I didn't see that one coming. Did you hear about uh, that? Yeah, you don't want to get me started on that. Fair enough. <laughs> it was. It was. I watched the video. It was all right. I, I did not watch the video. Someone told me about it, and I just shook my head. I like, mean, I was like, "Man, you know, that's why that band just pisses me off. <laughs> they play these three-hour concerts, and that's yeah. the content. Let's right. get Dave Chappelle to sing Creep. God, why? <laughs> Stop you know, fucking around. Leave it in the jam room." Because they can. Mm-hmm. They also recently released a disco album. People love it. Yeah. I heard about that too. I'm not opposed to that. Right. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Yeah. I might listen to that. I don't know. I, I we've talked about the Foo Fighters before. I think I would oh, yes. like to see. I would like to see somebody give the Foo Fighters five hundred dollars and say, "This is all you have. Make an album." Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> see what they come up with, which would, which do. would be brilliant. I think. But <laughs> yeah. Anyway. yeah. Okay, uh, that's pretty much all I had to say. And speaking of music, hey, Lee, what are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk, well, this episode, I guess, started out the intention of being one of our um, album autopsies, mm-hmm. but uh, quickly took on a life of its own just because I think it's more about the um, talking about how the album was made than the album itself. Right, gotcha. And the album I'm talking about is... Maybe some people have already guessed, but it's Chinese Democracy by Guns N' Roses. What we're going to talk about today. Amazing. And um, in, a, in an amazing um, turn of life imitating art, my notes started to become a Chinese <laughs> democracy. This kept getting longer and longer and longer, oh, and I couldn't finish them. Oh, God. All I, right. Um, well, everyone so, buckle up. Yeah, buckle up. Get well, that being, the, that being the case... I really did sort of truncate a lot of sections. Okay, so yep. I'm going to leave out huge, just not very important uh, mm-hmm. aspects of why this album took so long to get made. But, you know, right. if you if you want that information, it is out there. Trust okay, me, great. I went through it. <laughs> booyah. So here we go. Um, hey, by the way, I, I say booyah again now. Oh, you started saying booyah again? Well, just now. So that's something that we'll have to live with. Okay. I hadn't realized you'd stopped or... You'd... Nuclear Norm and I were big booyah sayers back in the day. Back in the day. Bring it I back. I guess I'll bring it back. You know, this makes you feel young. Yeah, I it guess. It does. Yeah. I'm playing a lot of video games. Bring back <laughs> booyah. Saying booyah while you do it. Right on. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yes. So, I've, uh, I'm going to start with uh, part one. The Road to China. Hmm. It's not the Silk Road. Yeah. <laughs> That That's a callback. A callback. <laughs> episode, episode 1314. The Black Cat. Oh, nice. There you go. <laughs> so, Guns N' Roses. This, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to try to go breeze through this real quick. They started out in the <laughs> 80s. They quickly became very popular with the release of their debut album, Appetite for Destruction, in 1987. Mm-hmm. And even way more popular with the release of Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 in wow. uh, 91, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh, and at that point, they became huge, like one of the biggest bands in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, much like Metallica, uh, they were so big that uh, despite the alternative nation coming in and laying waste 
to the heavy metal heyday of the 80s. It didn't mm-hmm. really seem to affect them one bit. In fact, they thrived. Hmm. All right, yeah. then. So they would go out on tour and bands like Soundgarden and Faith No More would open for them. Really? Doing pretty good. So they toured for basically two years straight, starting when they got off the road in 93. Uh, after that, they released an album of cover songs called The Spaghetti Incident. This is sort of um, one step up from a greatest hits package or like a live album, like as far okay. as like a stopgap, like, right. we got nothing. So Put here's something out. Here's got to do something. You got nothing. And I need a pool. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> got nothing. I bought the pool. I need to pay for the pool. <laughs> you guys know any cover songs? <laughs> yeah. So, um, and funny thing is, I was. In doing my research, I was mm-hmm. watching an interview with the band from 1987, mm-hmm. shortly after Appetite for Destruction c- came out. And the funny thing is, it took about a year for that that album, their debut album, to really blow up. Yeah. So they're doing like okay, and then boom, finally, you know, it it broke. Right. Um, but at first, it was they were they were doing all right for a hard rock band. But even then, in this interview, Axel. Rose was laying out their plans saying, Oh, that Axel. Sorry. Oh, I, that I got Axel. confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a vocalist guns and roses. Oh, Axel Rose. Right, okay. right, right. Mm-hmm. So he's laying out the, the plans for the band mm-hmm. and there's, yeah. and he goes on to say, uh, we're going to release an acoustic EP, mm-hmm. which they did after appetites called lies. Nobody's perfect. And then hopefully we'll do a double album. We'll see what the record label says about it. Okay. Which is, I was kind of surprised to see that because, I always assumed that Use Your Illusion being two separate albums was the fact that by then they were so big that they were sort of like believing their own hype. Like, oh, Oh, we can do anything. But he had sort of had that in mind from the start. So that's... Well, you got a vision. Yeah, exactly. Be that as it may, they do the Use Your Illusion thing. Two albums, big, big, big. Now what? That's the question. That is a dangerous question that has come up a lot in this podcast. Yeah. I'm not sure if you're going to do the callbacks. You probably will, but I can think of a few. I don't know. Maybe I missed those. You should lay them out. Thinking of Brian Wilson's smile. Oh, there you go. Thinking of of, uh, Die Katana. (laughs) Thinking of uh, Duke Nukem Forever. Yeah. Yeah. That's big, uh, big successful musicians and game developers that hit the peak their peak and right. they're like okay well knock it out of the park now what now let's do what do we it. do let's do that again but better oh yep. that's all okay okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's change the industry again <laughs> again which has got to be crazy but yeah I'll, I'll i'm sure i'll get into that apparently uh writing sessions did take place for a follow-up to the use your illusion albums as early as 1994 Mm-hmm. with various accounts from different members as to why this material never saw the light of day. According to Axel, he says they weren't collaborating enough. Uh, drummer Matt Sorum said most of those songs ended up on Slash's solo album because Axel just wasn't into them. Mm-hmm. And then bassist Duff McKagan says they're all so stoned they couldn't get anything finished. So Fair enough. <laughs> Slash. I've always wondered about that name. Slash, his real name is an, Saul. Oh, do you have an origin for Slash? Do you just think it sounds cool? I'm gonna go with he thought it sounded cool. Fair enough. I always thought like, you know, you you shred on the guitar, so it's not right. that you shredder. <laughs> he I don't slashes know. the guitar. He plays the axe. Slashes the axe. Slash oh. the axe. Yeah, just one of those tough boy names, mm-hmm. like yeah. the Edge. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hi, I'm the. a man in, in his 60s. Call me the Edge. I <laughs> <laughs> wonder if that's on his tax return. <laughs> Long story short. Yep. Somewhere in 1996, Slash quits, mm. uh, mainly because he can't get along with Axel anymore. Uh, Matt Sorum is fired for similar reasons. Mm-hmm. And then Duff quits in 97 because they were getting nothing done. So that is sort of the cutoff point or the sort of the line in the sand between the old lineup and right. now we're going into the new lineup, which consists of basically Axel. Yeah, right. <laughs> that kind of reminds me of, you know, that saying where if you walk into a room and you can't identify the asshole, you're the asshole. <laughs> I feel like if everyone leaves the band for like create, you know, exactly. Axel related differences. <laughs> well, that was always like the move back in high school when you wanted right. to like kick someone out of the band, everyone right. would just quit. <laughs> <laughs> and then and reform <laughs> yeah exactly shortly after nice. <laughs> just too scared to be confrontational guns and tulips <laughs> <laughs> i can't imagine kicking axel out of guns and roses would have been an right. easy feat though roses axel rose hey oh, shit. hey do you know any of their songs i know you know one it's know in a two, movie actually. you like a lot <laughs> wait really oh yeah what movie is that it's the movie and they're riding around on a motorcycle, and the kid on the back is blasting in on the boombox. What the? And then the uh, policeman shows up, and he's looking for John Connor. Oh, yeah. Okay, 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 okay. Fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Robocop. Yeah, Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Movie. I didn't realize those was a Guns N' Roses movie. Yeah, okay. I, my song choice is a Guns N' Roses song that I chose for reasons that I'll get into. Okay. But I, I know I know some Guns N' Roses songs. Nice. I, know, I mean, I, I know, figured. I know two Guns N' Roses Two songs. of them. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet Home Alabama. That's right. <laughs> oh, I got, Brian, I got a Brian Adams song right the other day, and Gary was super proud of me. Oh, really? Was it Summer 69? It was. Okay. <laughs> well, you got it right. You got it right. Carry on. <laughs> Righto. So, Axel has cleaned house. It's mm-hmm. basically him and uh, Dizzy Reed left from the quote, classic lineup, but Dizzy joined as keyboard player somewhere uh, before or during the Use Your Illusion tour, or maybe he's on okay. the album too, but he's, you know, Fair enough. he wouldn't okay. be considered like one of the, the big, big brains of the band. Um, Axel and Dizzy, not names you hear all the time. <laughs> not really. I can think of Gillespie. Gillespie, yeah. That's more famous Dizzy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can't think of another one. So they got a, 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 a new band had to be assembled. So... Mm-hmm. Axel, being a huge fan of Nin at the time, Nine Inch Nails. Mm. Oh, the, oh, Nine Inch Nails. Okay. Nine Inch Nails, yeah. yeah. Uh, he decided to go with uh, Robin Fink to replace Slash mm-hmm. and Chris Vrenna on drums, replacing Matt okay. Sorum. They were both uh, longtime Nin uh, alumni. That's a, that's a change for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, apparently that's part of the reason why Axel was not into Slash's stupid rock songs. He wanted things to sound more sort of electro-industrial. Oh, okay, fair and, enough. And uh, that's that's one. Uh, that's another theory as to okay. why. As to fair why. Um, yeah. So Chris Renna did not last long in the band. Um, he himself was replaced by the amazing drummer Josh Fries, mm-hmm. who would actually go on to join Nine Inch Nails years later. Oh, nice that's enough. And to fill the bass slot, our Good friend uh, Tommy Stinson of the Replacements. Hey, episode six point five. Nice. Yeah, he was I brought that in. one ready. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great story. 
That's a funny story. Yeah, check that out. How to get banned from SNL. (laughs) Yeah, for life. (laughs) (laughs) For life. Um, So rounding out the lineup was multi-instrumentalist Chris Pittman, also Mm -hmm. on keyboards, and also Billy Howardell, uh, who would, he would go on to form A Perfect Circle. Not a member of the band, but sort of employed in a jack-of-all-trades kind of engineer role. To clarify, he formed the band a perfect circle. He didn't leave the band to form a literal <laughs> perfect circle. Form into a perfect circle. <laughs> I'm not going to clarify that. You can Google it. Fair well, enough. Maybe he did. <laughs> How He's would he still be? in that pose. <laughs> but it does not stop there, because Axel had also assembled sort of surrogate band of basically these very capable nobodies who can be called at a moment's notice to basically show up and interpret Axel's musical ideas with no input and no complaints. So he just like, okay. do, do what I say. All right. Well, I guess that is an approach. <laughs> yeah, like, here's my band, but I need my other band too. So I can right. be ready for my band, band, like side band and get the yeah. ideas ready with, for the band. Not this band, the other band, the band. Not confusing so, at all. This is going to go really well. I think, is, I think. Uh, the saying is the more chefs in the kitchen, the better the soup. I think that is it. Yeah. So 1997 was when these sessions for what would become Chinese democracy officially started. Probably the biggest part of why this album took over 10 years to see the light of day is the approach taken to the songwriting, the recording, and basically every aspect <laughs> of the creation of the product was doomed to languish for years and the songwriting process seemed to involve working with drum loops and keyboard parts and probably guitar riffs, but like anything that sounded promising and considered yeah. a song. Right. So it okay. just sounds like it was just a lot of like beginnings of things. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> just Moby was sort of the first major player to be considered as possible producer. Okay. He initially agreed, but quickly changed his mind, most likely because when presented with the 50 to 60 <laughs> songs <laughs> the bands were working with, which translated to roughly 300 dat tapes containing miscellaneous nope. guitar parts, nope. drum loops, synth loops, and no vocals whatsoever. Nope. Nope. Not interested. Do I, is, should I say I quit? I didn't really commit, but if, just in case I did, I quit. I totally quit, <laughs> but I never agreed to anything. <laughs> so I, yeah, goodbye. Jesus. Can you imagine? You walk goodbye. in, you see those crates of dat tapes alone. <laughs> yeah. And just, so you guys just... have like a naming system? No, <laughs> this is uh number 52. <laughs> What's on it? Probably a tambourine. <laughs> yeah. Killing Joke's Youth was also solicited for the producer role. Right. He too quickly declined, later <laughs> stating that. that Axel had basically isolated himself from everyone else in the band and was feeling immense pressure to come up with something to top his previous successes. Right. Okay. Like we said. So basically Another no position theme. to record a new album. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not surprising yeah. at all. So in comes uh, a guy named Sean Beaven, who was also a Nine Inch Nails collaborator of sorts in the past, uh, okay. engineer, I think. Fair enough. He, so he's eventually slotted in as producer, and he lasted until about late 99, and mm. um, it does sound like they did make some headway with him at the helm, yeah. although in an astonishing move of pointless time-wasting, uh, <laughs> Axel put the new album on hold to completely re-record 
their debut album, Appetite for Destruction, with the then current lineup. Got a few questions. Well, before you judge too harshly, I'll just say okay. that according to him, it was a way to break in the new lineup and to bring the old songs up to date. <sighs> I'll also mention these recordings were never released. Go. Why? God, why? <laughs> I, I think uh, it would be easier to lift 500 pounds with one hand to, than to begin that the process of yeah. playing the drums for Welcome to the yep. Jungle, like yep. proper, like just like, not just like jamming it, like getting a great take. Like, oh, also, they started this in 1997, you said? Started in 97 now, and we're sort of moving closer to 99 here. Well, th this brings us up to 99. That's two years. Yeah. So, that's two years. Already, roughly, if you've spent two years on an album, mm -hmm. that's not, that's, that's not insane. That's insane. Yeah. That is, that is like, that's slovenly. <laughs> <laughs> good uh, good use of slovenly. Sean Beaven wasn't the only one to sh jump ship at the end of 99. Uh, also, Robin mm -hmm. Fink, Josh Fries, and Billy Howardale all said goodbye in favor of working on their own respective projects that most likely had mm -hmm. a hope in hell of getting finished. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to which we say, fair enough. They've recorded everything, right? Are they just like sitting around waiting for it to get mixed? Oh, you're, or you're thinking they've recorded an album at this point? No, no, no. I don't think so. Oh. I think they've been working on these songs. Oh, I think good what Lord. I think, what it sounds like is that they, Guns N' Roses have like locked out studio time. So they just have, they okay. come and go as they please to wherever the, it is. Like they, they yeah. change studios several times. Shock. And there's just like people there. Like for, for example, Billy Howardell was sort of the guy running the show, but under him, yeah. several people just sitting there waiting for anything to happen but i think mostly they would just sit around and talk shop mm -hmm. and just sort of do nothing and get paid it's exhausting to just be ready for whenever you know yeah axel or whoever would come in and say hey i got something okay hit record understandably some of these guys were like yeah see ya like for example robin fink was yeah. who worked on Several of the songs he thought they were very good, but became frustrated that no one song was ever completed and right. that he just couldn't stand to work on songs with titles like instrumental number 34 anymore. <laughs> 34. Jesus yes. Christ. <laughs> That's a quote. <laughs> Billy Howardell's take was that on one hand, he'd never witnessed someone as driven to make the best album as possible as Axel. On the other hand, he observed that Axel was in, okay. was in a, paralyzed by choices situation right which we've just talked about time and again limitations breed creativity exactly if you have every option available to like where where do you start uh, like there's so many you can go on forums for like you know music production and stuff and all the questions are about like oh what microphone and gear should i get yeah should that doesn't doesn't matter use the microphone you have start yeah do you have the material to record yeah. with that microphone or don't you <laughs> exactly. that's what's exactly. important yeah but it's yeah. funny because i think probably it was a similar situation on use your illusion where okay i imagine every option was available then as well and and it right. worked somehow yeah but at least he had sort of four other guys telling him no or just you know, right something and maybe still a little bit of hunger at that point which we talked about before yeah, exactly. Like, a, like really something to prove and yeah, yeah, something to shoot for, for sure, for sure. Yeah. 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 At this point, it's just him and like we said, like, where do you go from here? So it's it's not mm. a great position to be in. 
but yeah. you know, it could be worse. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's also kind of awesome. So uh, there's some progress in late 99. Uh, Guns N' Roses released the song Oh My God, which was featured on the End of mm-hmm. Days movie soundtrack, and that would be their first song in five years. Okay. It contains a guitar solo played by Jane's Addiction and Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist Dave Navarro. Okay. According to him, Axel was not present in the studio, but would call in and over speakerphone, he would instruct Dave to play with more feeling. Over speakerphone? <laughs> yeah. Okay. How about you play with go fuck yourself? Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering how often that phone got the bird flipped to it. Like, Right. <laughs> oh, so you're breaking up. But I can't, I can't. Yeah. Oh, I went through a tunnel. Oh, you're not on Cell phone. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't you know. went through a tunnel. <laughs> also, End of Days, like with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, 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 yeah. I never saw that movie. I just remember like the big reveal being that like 1999, Turn It Upside Down, Number of the Beast. Ooh, six, yeah. six, six, one. <laughs> well, I think they dropped the one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll drop the one. Fair enough. So um, it's it's not too bad of a song. Um. There's songs from their heyday that I think are much worse. So, mm-hmm. uh, but was received rather lukewarmly by the critics and the fans, which is not surprising. Since, like, the, I think it's just like the longer that goes by, the oh, yeah. harder it is to sort of re-enter. The standards are going to be anticipation too. Exactly. Like, look at Daikatana. Yep. And Duke Forever. Well, Duke Nukem <laughs> Forever. That's a historically like Guinness World Record breaking length of development. But something like Daikatana, everybody's looking at John Romero being like, well, dude, you made Doom and Quake. What's next? Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> not going to be anything like what you expect. These are not coincidences that these stories are all the same. Like, it's yeah. tale as old as time. Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, going forward, um, so the lead guitar slot being filled by Buckethead, who I'm a huge fan of. Okay. And the uh, drummer slot being filled by Brian Brain Mancha, who I'm also a huge fan of. Okay. That's kind of cool. But they don't really belong in Guns N' Roses, but it's just weird. The The Universal Group brought in Bob Ezrin to assist. Mm-hmm. Now, Bob Ezrin is a veteran of the industry. He's produced Alice Cooper's Love It to Death, Pink Floyd's The Wall, and much more recently uh, helped Trent Reznor pick the best songs for his own high pressure follow-up album that being the fragile nailed it which i know we're well, i know you're a big fan of i am too one of my favorite all-time albums and is an album that followed up the incredibly successful piece of shit downward spiral <laughs> <laughs> how do you really feel though you don't want to know so ezrin spent some time with the material and mm. to give an idea of how much material we're talking here axel at many points stated that they were actually in the process of recording three albums uh, at the same time and that it was meant to be a trilogy and Chinese democracy was just one part of that trilogy. So all that said, Bob Ezrin informed Axel that he had three good songs. Oh boy. (laughs) Uh, The rest being totally overproduced and not up to par. Well, I guess trilogy, I mean, three good songs. There's always like that one, especially at this time, there's always like that one standout track that's the single. Yeah. So that's one per album. That's, <laughs> yeah, I don't that's, know, man. You got, you got a stew going. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you had a stew going. Yeah. I know. Some bands have no good songs on their album. So <laughs> just count yourself lucky, I guess. 
Uh, do you ever notice how it was, it was always like track two and track seven? Those are the ones to listen to? Well, usually the good ones I found for, for like a stretch. Yeah, I kind of know what you mean. Like I would always like skip to track two rather than... Because the intro, it's like, okay, you got you to introduce us, whatever. Let's get through Yeah, it. you got to grab them, <laughs> but then you got to like kick it up a notch. The one that always comes to mind is Color and Shape by Foo Fighters. Oh, okay. Track two is Monkey Wrench. Yeah. And then I think track seven is Everlong. Oh, there you go. Axel disagreed with Ezrin, claiming that the album was ready to be mixed. And Ezrin basically said, I don't agree. I okay. can't move forward on this project uh, mm-hmm. in its current state, but you know how I feel. You have my number. I'm happy to help if you want my help. And that right. was the last contact Axel had with Bob Ezrin regarding Chinese <laughs> democracy. Okay. Um, however, Axel, I would say, probably took Ezrin's comments to heart more so than he bled on because no right. mix on the album was performed and everything once again came to a standstill. What year is this? We must be around uh, 99, 2000. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So Sean Beaven has left the project and, and the label's kind of like, what the hell? So they bring in Bob Ezra and that didn't work. So, so three in years e- in production now. Here we go. Three years. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. in an effort to press on, the label then brought in um, Roy Thomas Baker mm-hmm. to fill the producer role. Uh, now this guy is famous. He's worked with okay. Queen. He's worked with the Cars. All right. Lots of big rock bands. Um, awesome. So Baker, in a bold move persuaded Axel to re-record the album from scratch. You were supposed to help. (laughs) You were the chosen one. You fuck. (laughs) You weren't supposed to join them. (laughs) Yeah, he joined cult Axel immediately. And he just walked in the room and was just swept down by everything. Ah, re-record it. Yeah. Erase everything. (laughs) The A&R guy's like, oh shit. (laughs) So that kind of lends credence the idea that Bob Ezrin was right the Sean Beaven version of the album was probably not up to par but still Mm. holy shit right so first up was having now I think Roy Thomas Baker is another huge culprit and okay he was he was an enabler and we'll see why but so the first thing was they had to have brain go in and re-record all of Josh Friese's drums but Mm. playing everything Josh played note for note and I'm talking like brain went like he 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 um solicited someone from the label mm-hmm. i guess whose job it is to transcribe and he had the drum parts transcribed for him okay to the point it's like well, what just, just why are you doing this keep it yeah right it's drums like, yeah <laughs> you've done it it's done well they liked what josh had played but they also really liked brains feel like fuck off what is that the drums what's he gonna are done just use it. Just use it. You, 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 There's no such thing as vibe or feel when it comes to <laughs> drums on... Uh-huh. Maybe if you're recording some like fucking like jazz album in a room yeah, where yeah. you can hear people breathing and just <laughs> just energy, but on a, a yeah. multi-million dollar production, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> just gate the shit out of it, quantize exactly. it like you're going to do it anyway. <laughs> exactly. Compress everything so every drum hit sounds the same. <laughs> It doesn't matter who's playing the drums. Exactly. You're going to make it sound like the most generic shit in the world. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Just say that he recorded it. Yeah. No one. I won't tell. Dispute. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get him to sign some non-disclosure oh, thing. Oh my God. Not only that, but but Roy Thomas Baker was giving Brain every single option on drums. They would drive all around LA in search of the best drums. And they would switch up the kit for every song, which again, like, insert 
everything we just said, you're going to make it sound like doesn't matter. You're going to suck all crap the life anyway. out of it. You'll, yeah. Oh, it's not a Ludwig snare. Like, right. No, here's, here's something that no one's ever said. I want that guns and roses tone. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't fucking matter. Like November rain is November rain because it's November rain. Yeah. That's another good, like the drummer is just the least important part of this yeah. equation. Keep yeah. the beat. Great. Yeah. You're hired. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, 30 mics on the drum kit. According 30. to EQ magazine, four on the snare, two on each song. This is stupid. Four on the snare. <laughs> I'm not a professional. Sure you are. But on our stuff, uh, top and bottom of the snare. Yeah. Usually just top of the rack toms, but if I want to get fancy, I'll do top and bottom. So but that's yeah, six. If you're really being uh, crazy. So that, that's six, two overheads and a room mic. Mm-hmm. So nine and, a, and the kick, 10. Yeah. If you're getting, if I'm, if I'm getting fancy and 10, if you're getting really eight, if not ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. 30, 30. for some other people, Too some many other people think 30. <laughs> it's just so Too many. And that was sort of his approach for everything. Um, mm-hmm. be it drums or guitars, amps, cabs, mics, mm-hmm. how many mics, mic placement. Um, yeah. the idea was that everything was worth trying until the absolute best combination was found like again you should you should experiment it depends again it depends on the album you're making yeah. right and in the end like no one really gives a shit well like a, 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 a part of it too a gibson through a marshall or or whatever whatever like that's mm-hmm. gonna be fine and then you know you can twist the dials mm-hmm. however much of it let's try a fender let's try it yeah let's just finish it I think, I don't know if it's just us, but that shit just is exhausting to me. Oh, I, I, it sucks the life like, out which, of me. Which one of these amps do you think sounds better between two virtually indistinguishable amps? It's like, I don't fucking, can we just hit record, can we just, please? How about the one that I'm not going to kick down the stairs? In our, in our, fun. in our studio, we have like the smaller amp, which is for solos and the big <laughs> amp, which is for the face melting riffs. Yeah. I don't even know what the brands are. It's the loud <laughs> one and the pretty one. <laughs> yeah. The rock one and the metal one. But again, we're not professionals. Whatever. Do what you want. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> it's yeah. That's a, it, you know, it's easy to sit here and, and, and poo poo this process, but yeah, we didn't write, we don't know what that world's like. Maybe it's, we didn't write sweet child of mine. We didn't so. write that song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there is a lot of pressure. Um, mm-hmm. But for Axel, all his hopes and dreams is making the best album ever. It was, Basically absent for much of this part of the production, like he would forward his requests through his people. Wow. Such as, I want the drum sound from Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> oh. <So> that, <laughs> wow. Uh, so the results, so that, you know, those wishes get forwarded to the studio. The results right. would then be burnt to a CDR and sent via a runner to his Malibu home mm-hmm. for him to sample the results and then would come the inevitable phone call and involving what he liked, what he didn't like. At, at no point does anybody ever point out the irony of him literally phoning it in. <laughs> Are you into this? Axel? That had to be a joke going around. Baker is like, these guys should never have been in the same time zone together because right. one is enabling the other. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. When the, the role, the entire role of the producer is to like rein that shit in. So mm-hmm. get it done. You got to wonder what his motivations were. Bakers, I mean, like money, probably maybe money. Maybe he's just money, milking probably? the cash cow. Maybe the money. Maybe. I mean, it's cynical, but I mean, well, I guess it could also could also be the money, though. 
Oh, so, you think it's the money? I, I think it might be the money. Okay. I hadn't thought of yeah. that. You don't think he was just doing it for the love no, of music? No, it was the money. No, it was the money. It was the money. It was the money. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Sad world we live in. So they carried on this way until the beginning of 2002 when Roy Thomas Baker was fired for no real explanation <laughs> given to the public. Too much money. He took too much money. He got greedy. <laughs> Spent too much of the label's money. Yeah. Summer 2002 saw Marco Beltrami and Paul Buckmaster both providing orchestration on several songs. I don't know. Is it 2002 worth. at this point? That's 2002. Summer 2002 we're at now. So they're five putting, years. So laying down some strings. Five years and counting. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this next part, despite the copious amount of notes I had, is really unclear, but it sounds like in 2003, the band re-recorded the album a third time. Oh, Jesus Christ. Maybe? Like, this time it'll work. So you have the... Sh- it sounds like you have like the Sean Beaven version of 99... Roy mm-hmm. Thomas Baker version 2002. And here we have sort of the Axl Rose produced version, which is basically what happened after Baker was let go. Okay. Going forward, Axl was sort of de facto producer with Karam Costanzo acting as engineer, uh, mm-hmm. probably actual producer. Um, right. Which kind of makes sense, I guess, because at least that way, like, he obviously kind of knew what he wanted. So just like do it yourself. Right, yeah. <laughs> so 2004, Buckethead leaves the band after months of sort of being on the outs. Mm-hmm. From his point of view, again, the non-activity of the band, it sort of took its toll on him. From Axel's point of view, Buckethead was impossible to get a hold of, especially when it like, really mattered. And then there's lots of stories about Buckethead's time in the band, how he had a chicken coop built in the studio for him to record in. What? Do you know anything about Buckethead? Clearly no. <laughs> okay. He's a weird person. Okay. A chicken coop. He wears a like a sort of a white kind of almost Michael Myers mask. Okay. And on his head he wears a KFC bucket. Okay. And he just sort of stands like a robot and just shreds guitar like he's okay. a prodigy. Wow. He puts out like five albums a year. Like it's kind okay. of like music for silly guitar obsessed nerds but he's also got some really awesome shit buckethead so this chicken coop full of chickens or just uh no he's i think he's the chicken in this scenario it's full of full of him but also apparently he full of a tv brought in the coop so he could watch hardcore porn i assumed you assumed that i didn't need to mention that well axel was not apparently cool with this this is axel by the way a man who once had himself recorded in a live in-studio sexual act and the audio mm. which was inserted into the song Rocket Queen. He objected to that, the TV with the porn. So, Buckethead replaced by Bumblefoot. <laughs> you could just be making this up at this point. It, it sounds like I am. <laughs> I know Axel Rose is a person, but every other name <laughs> you've said. I think I lost you at Dizzy Reed. You did. <laughs> I'm still stuck on Dizzy Reed. Yeah. An album with Axel Rose Dizzy and Dizzy Reed. Reed. Nope. Those aren't real people. <laughs> I didn't even mention uh, Izzy Stradlin. Nope. Not a person. Nope. nope. <laughs> so yeah, Bumblefoot replaced Buckethead. Sure. Um, and yeah, <laughs> uh, according to Mr. Foot, uh, he contends that he would play guitar solo a hundred different ways for each song with each take later being scrutinized for the best parts. Okay. Some more bullshit time-wasting. Fucking nightmare. <laughs> you know what? The first take was fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you nailed it. Take five. We'll move on to the next song. Mm-hmm. No, do it mm-hmm. again. 
do it again. And we'll just scrutinize it for the best parts. Nobody gives a shit. I think I think I really hit the fifth note of the second bar really well on take 43. Can we splice that in? <laughs> that is literally the uh, approach to not just like, I know that's how uh, Metallica did the Black Album. Right. With the I drums. Think, yeah. Yep. Like you would just record the same song 30 times and some poor bastard of an engineer would have to go through with like razor blade. Yeah. Like yeah. This is, 90, this is 1991. Like, and just splice yeah. together. Like, let's find the best fills. How about you play it right to begin with? We'll do that one. You dick. <laughs> so one assumes that work is being done on the album in some capacity as the months just stretch on and on. But as far as the public is concerned, lift. Literally nothing of note happened during 2004 and 2005, as far as this Ar- dumb Arguably album. since 1997? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm even talking behind the scenes. I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so there's some very telling quotes from GNR's manager, Merc Mercuriadis. Nope. Is that a person? Just, no. No. Just stop it. It's a guy named Merc. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. (laughs) From December 2006, where he mentions three different occasions where the studio time was booked, but nothing got done because they waited for the muse, but she eluded us before finally getting a good two or three days of product productivity from Axel. And then the muse promptly disappeared again. (sighs) You're not fucking Mozart. (laughs) (laughs) Just finish the album. Yeah. You know so what? I, you know what? You've got like 50 songs. Pick 10. What are your 10 favorites? Pick your 10 best. Put that out. I yeah. think I, I read uh, the, the in in the in the in the in my research, I remember yeah. somebody suggested that to him early on. Yeah. You know, something to the effect of, yeah, just pick whatever your best material is and just power through and just yeah. put it out there. And Axel's yeah. like, huh, just power through. That person was literally fired the next day. <laughs> <laughs> This man has just weeded, weeded out the uh, the undesirables and just kept the the yes men and women oh to just, God. you know <laughs> keep the peace. You know what? Get get rid of the yes men and find the people that call you on your bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> talk got, to them. That was Slash. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, <laughs> the first long one gone. to go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're talking like two to three days a month of productivity. That probably explains a lot. No. As far God. as the music is concerned. In the meantime, Velvet Revolver, a mm. band featuring Slash, Duff, Matt Sorum, and vocalist S- Scott Weiland from Stone Temple Pilots, they released their debut album in 2004, right. very much filling the gap left by GNR in a way that was much more faithful to Appetite for Destruction than uh, right. Chinese democracy was shaping up to be. So that's kind of funny. So you're saying they didn't, they didn't spend so far seven years recording an album? No, I think they picked their best 10 songs and powered through and oh, okay. so. <laughs> did, did quite well with it. <laughs> um, so October 2006, Andy Wallace is brought into Mix. Uh, he of Nevermind fame, of course. Okay. Along with Slayer, Sepultura, The Cult, Faith No More, Sonic Youth, etc. Mm-hmm. Concurrent to this, Axel is still banging out vocal sessions into early 2007 some of which mm-hmm. include backup vocals provided by former Skid Row singer Sebastian Bach. Mm-hmm. At some point, Andy Wallace is fired. Again, for undisclosed <laughs> reasons. <laughs> Too good at his job, I guess. I think so, because there's like excellent quotes from him. I don't think, I think they sort of predate his 
being involved with the album, mm-hmm. but I, I included them just because he discusses like working with intense or temperamental artists in general, where they get involved in a mix or production to a point where it becomes detrimental to the process <laughs> and right. like specifically making demands with regards to editing right. or whatever, where it just does not make a difference. Nobody will hear it. Right. Yeah. Kind of what we've been saying all along. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, you know, like I said, maybe we don't know what it's like to be in this position, but maybe we kind of do. <laughs> it's just at a certain point, like everyone has ears, right? And there are certain yes. things where it's just like, yeah, I understand that when you isolate this one guitar and listen to it by itself, you can kind of mm. hear the one little like bloop that wasn't exactly perfect. Yeah. It's going to be one of about a dozen elements going on. Nobody's yeah. going to hear it. When it's Nobody, sitting in a mix... You're never going to, that's why like never mix anything solo. Like just put, put everything in the mix and then find the balance. Exactly. Because like when you solo on stuff, you zero in on all the imperfections that are going to disappear the second you put in like one other instrument. Oh yeah. Part three, back on mm. the road. Oh good. I don't know if I announced part two, but now we're at the part three. Fair enough. Um, so throughout the recording process, the band would take time away from the studio to play shows, presumably to make up for the what the album was costing, which is surely skyrocketing year after year. Right. Guns N' Roses returned to the stage. Uh, their last show being in 93 was to be the Rock and Rio 3 festival in January of 2001 with some hints that this would coincide with dropping the new album on the world around that time. Mm-hmm. We know that didn't happen. Mm. The rehearsals for... Uh, Two shows the band booked, that being uh, Rock and Rio 3, and then a warm-up show prior to that in Vegas on New Year's Eve. They saw the band rent out the same soundstage where Wizard of Oz was filmed. Oh, cool. That's just yeah. an interesting fact. Yeah. <laughs> uh, according to Drummer Brain, the band rehearsed for two to three months without Axel. Okay. The rehearsals would always be based on the assumption that Axel might show up. That's a dick move. It is. To start. To start. And then to further that dick mood, uh, the guy apparently was 100% nocturnal. Okay. So <laughs> rehearsals would have to start at midnight and go to like 4 or 5 a.m. Just all on the predication that, you know, he might feel like joining them, which he never did. Oh my God. So the final rehearsal before the show, the crew had been there since 8 a.m. building the stage. Mm-hmm. Like this is a yeah. this is a dress rehearsal. So they're yeah, setting yeah. everything up as though it's, you know, the night. Yeah. The band starts at midnight. Yeah. Axel's nowhere to be found. And mm-hmm. around 3 a.m. they're done. And like the next move is for the crew to break everything down and have it to yeah. fl- have everything flown to fucking Brazil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Axel calls from Malibu. Mm-hmm. He wants to come and see the show. Is his plan to just get up and sing? No, he wants to come and see the show. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure, 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 sure. I hear but what I you're But I just saying. mean, uh, in like the grand scheme of things, he thinks like, oh, well, the band will be ready and then I'll just stand in front of them and sing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you like, want to practice that... too? I'll do it on the night. I'll do it on the night. <laughs> like, is he at home, like singing yeah. in front of the mirror or is he like... <laughs> he better be at least doing that. He better be. <laughs> So yeah, like okay. I said, he doesn't want to come and sing with the band. He wants to sit on this little couch that they pulled up next to the soundboard and watch the show. Mm-hmm. And by show, it's understood that he wants to watch the show, like the lights, the pyro, the whole works. Mm-hmm. So okay. 
in addition to running the whole thing back from the beginning, they also have yeah. to get the fire department down there to just legally so they can monitor the pyro because we know how things like that can go awry. We sure can. Episode 40.5. Nice. <laughs> Great white. Station night club fire. That's right. That's right. right. Station. So at least another hour goes by They're waiting for Axel. People are literally sleeping on their gear. Mm-hmm. He shows up at 5 a.m. They play the entire set again mm-hmm. for him, <laughs> performing mm-hmm. for him. And the bombs are going off and sparks are mm-hmm. flying. And they're doing the big finish, big ending mm-hmm. with Paradise City. And this mm-hmm. big stupid confetti bomb goes off. And the door is open. It's like it's like 8 a.m., full daylight. Yeah. People are going to yeah. work. Yeah. And uh, Axel gets up and he leaves, without, yeah. apparently without saying a word. And the next time they saw him was in Vegas for the shows. Fuck this guy. <laughs> yeah. How crazy is that to have to work for that guy? First of all, like I'd, I'd be flipping my drumsticks over my shoulder like the first time he doesn't show up at midnight when yeah. he told me to be there at midnight. Yeah. I am definitely breaking them in half and going home <laughs> when he just walks out after making me play again. There, there must just be a certain mindset that you have to be in where you know everything about this situation is ridiculous. Right. So for, guess, so for him to not show up for months, you just look at your bass player and laugh. And when he yeah. does finally show up and leaves <laughs> saying a word, it's like, yeah. what can you do? Throw your hands in the air. And... I guess so. Like, I mean, they're playing music. They're musicians. Mm-hmm. I guess they're having fun with each other. Yeah. <laughs> something, something. So they play the show and, um, there's, there's some video of it. They sound pretty good. Actually. Um, mm-hmm. some new songs were played. Mm-hmm. Axel, his yeah, his his vocals they sound reasonably good. Like he was mm-hmm. never a great right. live singer, even in the heyday. Like he's yeah. kind of croak his way through the shows. The Vegas show, I think it, they took the stage around three a.m. But I mean, in Vegas, that's like nine thirty. So okay, fair <laughs> I guess more tour dates are booked for summer two thousand one European tour. However, these dates were canceled almost immediately due to health concerns on behalf of Buckethead. Bucket, I was still in the band at this point. Maybe it's all the uh, chicken coop pornography. Could be, could be. Having take a that bucket off. Detrimental effect. Mm-hmm. 2001 ends with another two shows played in Vegas to ring in the new year. Mm-hmm. Why the okay. hell not? Uh, sure. Following a string of dates overseas, GNR performed mm-hmm. on the 2002 MTV Video Music Awards, which I remember seeing at the time. It was definitely the first the general public had seen of the band since the early nineties. Like, Whoa, guns and roses is going to perform like who it, Oh, you mean Axel and his band? Okay. <laughs> and, uh, wow. Was Axel out of breath? <laughs> it did not sound good. Maybe if he showed up to his band practices, maybe. So at this point, a North American tour running through November was booked with an early December release date for the album. Mm-hmm. Still in 2002. So the first show of the tour in Vancouver was canceled at the last second by the promoter who didn't think Axel would show. Okay. Now, Axel had gotten onto a 6.30 flight from LAX to make it to the show. So his presumption wasn't totally unfounded. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A riot ensued, which was not an uncommon thing in the Guns N' Roses world. Uh, the rest of the tour went well with many of the shows being sold out and the band receiving favorable reviews. 
up until a stop in Philadelphia where Axel didn't show up to the show. The show got canceled. The riot ensued and the rest of the tour is canceled. <laughs> Maybe it's kind of par for Why the are course. you rioting so much? I know. Stop it. Axel fans yeah. or Guns N' Roses fans. It was reported in the press that the band was taking the rest of the year off and getting back to work on Chinese democracy hmm. with an expected spring release date. We know that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2006, many shows get played in the States and Europe with plans that the album was being released at the end of 06 at the latest. Yeah, right. Apparently there was some talk and maybe even some steps taken to arrange a reunion with the original lineup, that being Slash and Duff, but that quickly got kiboshed and they played more shows in 2007. Part four, lawsuits. Oh, good. There's always lawsuits. Oh, you better believe it. Where this band is concerned, absolutely. And the fact of life is that for a period of time, Axl Rose was either being sued or suing someone or both. The man loves litigation, it would seem. (laughs) Oh, boy. Starting pretty much from when the original lineup attempted a follow-up to Use Your Illusion, Axl was complaining to whoever it was that was trying to get his ass in gear that he was being sued by everyone. So just, you know, back off. Again, when when you're in the room and you can't find the asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good advice. <laughs> I don't know if I should follow it. I might <laughs> no, learn some I things stopped. about myself. Yeah. I had to stop. <laughs> oh, again? Shit. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, yeah, so at that, uh, in the 90s, it was like uh, his former drummer and his former fiance. Fast forward to 2004, Axel, mm-hmm. in solidarity with Slash and Duff, tried unsuccessfully to sue Mm. Geffen Records for the release of a greatest hits package on the grounds that they weren't involved Mm. in any aspect of it. Again, I've left most of the business side out of this. We'd be here for hours otherwise, but, uh, fair enough. I mean, the greatest hits thing was basically a way for Geffen to recoup some of the millions they'd suck into sunk into Chinese democracy thus far. And then pushing very hard against the spirit of solidarity, Duff and Slash, also slapped Axel with a lawsuit around this time with regards to his control of the band's back catalog. <laughs> Still not the best of friends. No, no, I guess not. A ugly, ugly world of lawsuits. And so these back and forths of Axel versus Slash and Duff carried on throughout 2004, 2005. And the details are boring. It's all to do with publishing rights and mm. back catalog. And it's just another yeah. aspect of why this stupid, dumb album took so long to make. <laughs> What year is it now? I think we're still running up to 2006, 2007. Okay. So part Fair five. Enough, so 10 years. Hope springs eternal. 10 years oh. later. Okay. If I were to delve into the details of how Guns N' Roses record label felt about all this, which <laughs> was... Thrilled. Yeah. Which was Geffen when they started and was the universal mm. group when all was said and done. So mm-hmm. they've had their own you know, fair share of turmoil. Uh, not to mention management and various other invested parties. We, again, we'd be here for hours, Mm -hmm. but suffice to say, while they most likely weren't thrilled about the length of time and the mounting costs of the album, the fact is the Guns N' Roses were the most successful act on Geffen's roster at the time. So through it all, they felt it was their best interest to just let Axel go at his own pace as the ends would surely justify the means. They rarely do. (laughs) Uh so money was no object and like i said studios were being locked out 
gear was being rented for months at a time with just no right. mind to the cost. Oh Engineers sitting around. Do you have a total? I don't have a total. It's like okay. I couldn't it's find I couldn't find stupid. those numbers. It's gotta be ridiculous. Um yeah. I know there was like one one manager who was in there briefly, like one of the many yeah. people who got fired, but right. just in sort of looking at the books where the fat could be trimmed, I think he managed to save the band seventy five grand a month. <laughs> Oh my just God. An unnecessary like we don't need to rent this you know what like this zither every month <laughs> month after month like just something like that or like some crazy crazy guitar i don't oh, know jesus like, let's that's let's uh-huh. trim oh that a little bit um there's even a point around 2000 where the label gave axel an additional million to finish the album like here please finish it hmm. and if you finish yeah. it you'll get another million if you can deliver it right by the end of the year so here's a million right. no questions asked but you get two million if we get it by the end of like 2000 so right you just right. like i'll right. take the million yes yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh god that's that same thing happened for duke nukem forever yeah i think i mentioned it's like oh that's similar the publisher offered them half a million mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. they could get mm-hmm. it done by the end of the year and they're like oh cool no though yeah we're no. good we got lots yeah. of money like uh, i was afraid of that okay uh-huh. It's our money. <laughs> um, so leading up to the imminent release of the album in 2008, even Dr. Pepper threw their hat into the ring by offering a free can of Dr. Pepper to everyone in America, minus Slash and Buckethead, if uh, Chinese democracy came out at any point in 2008. That's probably one of the safest bets Dr. Pepper's ever, ever made. <laughs> yeah. So here we are. Part six. The album drops. Yeah. Okay. June 2006, nine of the 12 songs on Chinese Democracy are leaked, which isn't too surprising, seeing as Axel, over the course of the preceding few years, would give these like impromptu listening parties featuring some or all of the album tracks, either at a party Mm -hmm. or at his house or at a New York City nightclub after hours or in a hotel room. Okay. So it wasn't exactly being mm. kept under lock and keys. Like, I want to hear my new album. Right. Play it. <laughs> uh-huh. So Chinese Democracy finally came out on November 23rd, 2008, being sold exclusively through Best Buy on CD and vinyl. It was uploaded for streaming on the band's MySpace page five days prior. MySpace. I know. <laughs> 2008. Weird, also eh? exclusively at Best Buy. Right? I know. That seems like a real sort of stopgap between... I guess full on streaming and yeah record stores for real. Like so your yeah, your I, best <laughs> option is best buy, huh? I, I guess. Weird. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> so it was uploaded for streaming on the band's MySpace page five days prior, where it, it apparently received two million streams on the first day. It's debuted at number three on the Billboard two hundred charts on December second. However, album sales were somewhat meager within the first few weeks. 640,000 worldwide during the first week. By December 17th, the worldwide number was 1.1 million with almost 400K in the States. States. <laughs> States. Which ain't great, all things considered. No. No. No, you'd want some, you, you'd want a little more than that to cover the, I'm assuming, $1 billion. Price <laughs> yeah. <tag>. Like, <laughs> we're not even close to paying for the drum setup time. Yeah. <laughs> We've paid for half the drums. Many attribute this to the fact that Axel essentially went AWOL 
during what would have been the peak promotional period, as well as made no attempts to tour behind the album as GNR would not return to the stage until the end of 2009. You got to tour it. <laughs> you got to get out there. Also, I wonder how much of that was the band being like, um, no, <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not getting up at midnight for you. So <laughs> yeah, we tried that and no, thank you. Yep. And by the way, Dr. Pepper were trying very hard to keep up with the, the demand of giving away free soda, mm-hmm. uh, which they had to make good on seeing as the album did come out oh, in 2008. Okay. So. Not so safe a bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so offering from their website, a downloadable coupon for one free can of Dr. Pepper, which mm-hmm. was only good for 24 hours and ultimately expired completely on February 28th, 2009. Mm-hmm. Always true to form. Axel got his lawyers involved causing the good folks at Dr. P to experience the biggest collective are you fucking kidding me moment of their lives like we were just trying to be cool oh God. you know what you're sued for the thing I didn't ask for take the publicity at least exactly just laugh not, about it's it it's not hurting you La- yeah. exactly laugh Sorry. about it exactly are you impl- like do you have stock in Dr. Pepper now I bet you like at least half the people that got a free Dr. Pepper has never heard of you before this. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Part seven, Mm. the verdict. Upon release, the album was met with generally positive reviews. Uh, It gets a 64 out of 100 on Metacritic based on 28 different reviews. Mm -hmm. Generally, most of the praise goes to the guitar playing and Axel's vocals whilst okay. most criticism is leveled at the overproduced sound of the album and the band's attempts at remaining relevant by sort of cribbing different styles. Right. It was ranked among one of the best albums of 2008 by Rolling Stone, Spin, Ultimate Classic Rock, The Guardian, and ABC News, although it oh. did show up on some of the worst of lists as well. So okay. it's kind of all over the place. Fair enough. Overproduced, you say? So the guitar... The drum Weirder. sound didn't matter, is what we're saying. <laughs> In the end, all that dicking around with amps and drums really didn't amount Never to much. Never would have guessed. Many of the reviews, both positive and negative, mentioned the fact that the album itself and the music contained therein was almost always overshadowed by the fact of how long it took to create and probably that would always be its legacy. Right. So, And also how anyone, many chicken coops were built in the studio. And that too. <laughs> But that's it. Like anytime you bring up Chinese right. democracy, it's it's not about have you heard the album? Do you like this song? It's oh that album right. that took ten years to make and yeah, Fuck. that's that's what yeah. it's going to be known for. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I bet you if he had picked his ten best songs or say twelve best songs, yeah. these would have been them, yeah. and he would have released it <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. seven years <laughs> earlier. <laughs> he did what the guy said. He just went on his own pace. Like <laughs> and these are the ten best shit. Uh, <laughs> maybe I should rehire that guy. Um, as far as his yeah. former bandmates were concerned, all but former drummer Steven Adler had good things to say about it. Mm-hmm. I've listened to this thing a few times and it is shockingly good. Really? I, I, I couldn't believe my ears. Okay. Um, it's not something I'll probably ever really listen to again. Right. But <laughs> as far as what I was expecting, like, it's not even really as close to being as overproduced as I thought it would be, which um, right. I'm not even sure what that would even entail. Like if something's overproduced. Right. 
I just, I just, I had a certain expectation of it being like, you know, a, a multi-million dollar production and that's what I knew it would be. Right. Yeah. You know, compared to portal or fucking right. Mets. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, quite yeah. overproduced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair but enough. in and of itself, it just sounds like another one of those kinds of albums. That's a good point. What is overproduced? Too clean? Too perfect? Right. Yeah. Too much. Yeah, I don't know. That's like, yeah, I was talking about that with my brother-in-law the like a couple times recently where it's certain genres, black metal especially, once it gets too clean, yeah. it stops being black metal. Yeah, I agree. You know what I mean? So it's just like, I wonder... That's right. It's usually where I jump shit. I wonder if it's like... Guns N' Roses is like the opposite, where if Guns N' Roses was ever ever sounded like it was recorded on a boombox or something, <laughs> then it's like, oh, well, this is just somebody trying to cover Guns N' Roses. Yeah, they would, it would alienate more than it would... Uh, like it's part of the sound almost, you know what I mean? Being super clean and too perfect. Yeah, exactly. It's expected. So I, you know, I was expecting maybe like this insane sort of mishmash of genres, like trying to cover mm. all bases and in, in sort of this desperate attempt at remaining relevant. Like I really thought it was going to be that, but yep. it just sounds like your basic big budget, major label rock album and hmm. maybe better than most. All right. And, uh, there's even like, there's, there's a few songs or at least parts of songs that like really shine through. Like personally, I, I like sort of the buckethead moments that pop up here and there. Cause he's got, mm-hmm. Like I said, like a very sort of distinct guitar style. Where it's like, oh, right. there's Buckethead. Um, right. But uh, yeah, Axel's vocals are really, his voice is really strong, uh, mm. which really surprised me. And um, it's changed, like his, vo- his voice has changed somewhat since the right. the, the Guns N' Roses we know. Yeah, so that, I guess. Like at first, yeah, of course, like you, you get older and it's going to mm. sort of evolve. At first I thought, Maybe there was a second singer, like a second female singer. <laughs> like, right, 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 he sounds yeah. like a woman at times. Fair enough. Um, and I was trying, like, trying to put my finger on it, and he sounds exactly at times. He sounds exactly like uh, Ann Wilson from Heart, like in her heyday, like you know, ooh, oh, Barracuda. Like it's really weird. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's good. It's like a lot of sort of mid-paced, like very epic sounding rock tunes. It's very dramatic. Mm-hmm. There's very little that like that like rocks. Like there's nothing yeah. close to like Welcome to the Jungle or yeah. you know, It's So yeah. Easy or any any of that sort of appetite for destruction. But if anyone's like mm-hmm. familiar with like Use Your Illusion, like songs like Estranged mm-hmm. or whatever, like it's basically several different takes on that kind of stuff. So okay. If you are a big fan of Use Your Illusion, I think hmm. you'd be more than happy with this album. Okay. And yeah, the only real criticism you could level at it is why did this take so long? Or like it took that long for this? Yeah. Fair, yeah. <laughs> well, that that's that, that's the risky run. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Like it's uh it came up a few times in the Duke Nukem Forever episode, whenever yeah. they'd release that trailer. Where it's like, yeah, if this is the game yeah, that came yeah. out in 2001, it would have been amazing. Yeah. And then again, if this is the game that came out in 2008, it would have been amazing. <laughs> you so, have a lot of happy campers. So it's like, I imagine if Chinese Democracy is the album that would have come out in 1997, probably would have, you know, blown the doors off the Vatican. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> it probably would have been great. Like just yeah. probably a better reaction than, than what it got in 2008. Just just because, well, for yeah. a lot of reasons. I mean, 
there were probably mm. more Guns N' Roses fans from at the time than maybe there were like the the fans that are sort of around now or like people my age. It's just like a different mm. sort of a fan base, I guess. I mean, that's yeah. one of many reasons, but I don't know. Plus all the, it's, plus it's all the baggage say. it picked up along the way. Yeah, exactly. Like just like, again, Duke Nukem Forever is my touchstone. Like it's impossible to play that game without in the back of your mind being like, I know that they fucked this up and it took forever and all <laughs> yeah. of the stories yeah. and all of the bullshit behind you, it. You can't unknow that. You can't just plug in and be like, oh, this is a fun game on its own. It's impossible. No, <laughs> no it's impossible. I'll leave it at that. I've talked for a really long time about wow. this stupid album. <laughs> uh, so why is it called Chinese Democracy? It was, it, was, it was being called that as early as 99. Mm-hmm. And according to Axel, he said, there's a lot of Chinese democracy movements and it's something that there's a lot of talk about and it's something that will be nice to see. It could also just be like an ironic statement. I don't know. I just like the sound of it. That's hey. why I didn't really include it in my original notes because yeah, it's enough, just a enough. meaningless <laughs> statement. <laughs> but um, the album cover is, is kind of funny because um, it's it's literally a picture taken, I'm pretty sure, in China where it had the name Guns N' Roses mm-hmm. graffitied on the wall in English with sort of a little okay. bicycle in front of it. So yeah. that's kind of neat, mm-hmm. I guess. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that was a nightmare. That's a disaster. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have uh, do you have music to go with that? Yeah, it's a song for China's democracy. Is no. it? I thought it might be. <laughs> um, well, yeah, like I said, there's some genuine, genuinely good songs on here. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm going to go with uh, one called Riyadh and the Bedouins. And um, okay. it's just kind of a neat song. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Check it out. Also, I'll, I'll, I'll add a, a, an additional uh, recommendation just because mm-hmm. we've been talking about Buckethead. Sure. Yeah. Uh, check out the, this is just an album recommendation. Check out the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the artist or the collective is called Praxis mm-hmm. and the album is called Transmutation. Okay. And it's got Buckethead and it's got mm-hmm. Brain, who also mm-hmm. played on Chinese Moxite. It's got mm-hmm. Bootsy Collins, who we love, sure. and Bernie Worrell. These are like P-Funk guys and stuff. Okay. Check it yeah. out. It's great. Okay. Check that out. What's and, your uh, recommendation? Well, you know what? Uh, first of all, I'm going to say you're probably not going to hear these recommendations because after all you've talked about, got Axel liking to sue people. Maybe... Uh, <laughs> Maybe we won't tempt the algorithm. No. How about do your own <laughs> listening? Because um, yeah, we're not going to take the fall. Yeah. You can find Guns N' Roses music pretty easily. Yeah. Turn on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, for me, it's uh, Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah. Obviously. Because <laughs> my, I think my first conscious encounter with Guns N' Roses was playing Guitar Hero. Oh, yeah. I Obviously, I knew that song, but I didn't know who wrote it or, right. you know, Brian Adams. I don't know if I'd ever really, probably, <laughs> I'd never really listened to it beginning to end even probably. Sure. It's <clears throat> just like the song that would come songs. on on the radio sometimes. Exactly. Um, but then it's like one of the songs that I'm best at in Guitar Hero. <laughs> and I know it so well inside out now, all the guitar solos and stuff. I played it so much that it's now like, sure. it's in there. Sure. <laughs> There's so many songs like that for me with like rock band yeah. where. Oh yeah. I yeah. hear them now and I just zap back like if like Lazy Eye yeah. by Silver Sun pickups or oh, yeah. Yeah. stuff like that. It's like, oh, rock band. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember this one time. I forget what the last, I think it was like Guitar Hero 3 maybe. 
Mm-hmm. I remember going over to Nuclear Norms and we both finished the last song on hard. And we were like doing like the two guitar thing where we both had to get enough of it right that right. like we'd only finish if we both nailed it. I forget what song that was, but it was super hard. Was it Buckethead? Might have been. I don't know. I think there was there's one there is a song by Buckethead on one of those games. It's like okay. the hardest thing in the world. I forget the name of it. it might have been. Uh, might have been. been. But but I remember we got it. Or Dragon Force maybe. Right. Nice. It took us like a dozen tries, but then like the last <laughs> try that we did, we got it, and we were like, "That's it. That's it. We've mastered Guitar Hero. <laughs> we're done with this. Yep. Never play it again." Cool. Yeah. So those are our song recommendations. Probably didn't hear them, but there there are links in the description, so you can <laughs> check those out if you haven't heard them. They are out there to be enjoyed. Uh, and that was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Lee. That was a good, that was a great disaster. Thanks. If you like what you heard, the best thing you can do to help us out is to tell a friend to listen, uh, and maybe start formulating a. Pl- you know, don't take ten years to do it. Like don't don't sort of I think I made the same joke on the last one with Duke Nukem Forever but you know just well, it applies pick, pick your 10 pick your 10 best ways of telling someone about the podcast and then just just let it go you know power through <laughs> uh, the next please next best thing you can do is uh, subscribe if you haven't already and leave a rating or review you can uh, check us out on social media at this disaster pod on Twitter Instagram and Facebook and our website www.thisdisasterpod.com also become a patreon on our patreon.com slash this disaster pod you get bonus content every two weeks we're going to be getting back to live streams once we're back in the studio and other cool goodies also uh, we have a discord i forgot to mention that if you want to join there we're probably going to do a launch uh not a launch party a watch party at some point over the summer (laughs) again Mm -hmm. last time we watched blood sport to coincide (sighs) with nuclear arms episode about kowloon wall city that was great uh yeah i think we counted eight splits by john claude van damme Oh yeah, Jean-Claude Van Damme, you can do the splits. Um, So we'll pick another one. uh, I'm thinking maybe Armageddon. We talked about space a lot this time. Oh, you did talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Armageddon might be a good one. Yeah, that would be a good one. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I think that Uh, would uh, get some laughs. Couldn't possibly train an astronaut to use a drill. Anyway, um, and I think that's pretty much... I think that's pretty much all I had to say, or all we had to say, uh, all both of us ever had to say about anything. You've heard every word that we have to say now. Exactly. I don't want to say anymore. I've said everything, I guess. So, in that case, uh, we'll see you in our next major disaster. Bye. Bye. Bye.